On behalf of Pastor Mark Driscoll, we want to thank you for allowing us to bring you Jesus-centered Bible teaching. Like Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus. To get all of Pastor Mark's sermons, blogs, books, and other content, please visit us at markdriscoll.org. There you can also sign up to receive additional free content from Pastor Mark and support this ministry with a gift of any amount. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us today, and thank you to uh, the friends and family here at Gold Creek Church and Pastor Dan and their kindness to allow me to come and to uh, join with you all um, today. It's a great honor, and uh, glad to have my family here with me as well, so thank you guys. Um, I, I'm pretty emotional. I, we just did a lot of uh, crying and hugging between services, and you'd like to cry and hug, I'll see you after this service, Whatever, whatever's left of me. Uh, I, I should pray. Uh, it's a real joy and an honor to teach today in Hebrews 11, as I have been asked by Pastor Dan, and, uh, and I want to make sure that we shift our focus to Jesus as quickly as possible. So, um, Lord Jesus, thank you for an opportunity to teach your word today. Thank you um, that, that, Lord Jesus, you are faithful. And so when we place our faith in you, um, it's not in vain. And Lord, I pray for those who come here today that don't have faith in you, that they would come to have faith in Jesus. For those who do have faith in you, God, maybe their faith is waning or struggling. I pray that you would refresh their faith, that you would increase their faith, and that they would leave here with hope. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be in our midst. We invite you to be in our relationships. We invite you to be in our week. And we invite you into this moment that you would take the words that you've inspired to be written and we invite you to illuminate our understanding of them so we might see and know and trust and love and follow and enjoy Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. Well, I know your, uh, your pastor is a, he's a country boy, likes to hunt and likes to fish. We were talking about it. He's like, so you hunt, you fish? Nope, I grew up in SeaTac. Uh, the only time we ever saw a gun, it was coming out of a waistband sideways, usually at a convenience store. So no, not a lot of hunting and fishing where I grew up. Um, and uh, and when, when I was a kid, I remember they wanted us city kids to go get sort of an outdoor experience. And so uh, they put us uh, on a bus and took us up to the mountains to see uh, trees and, uh, and, and, and to explain to us the water table and how the water table works. And they said, well, you know, the snow melts and, and then it comes down through the streams and the rivers and then it ends up in the lakes and it ends up at the watershed. So they took us to the Cedar River watershed, if memory is correct, and they sat us city kids down and said, this is how you get your water to make your Kool-Aid. It comes from the mountain. You're like, that's amazing. Um, and then they told us, if you're ever in the woods, and it's like, it's never going to happen, but hypothetically, uh, we find ourselves back in the woods. They said, there are four things you need to survive. You need, you need water, you need food, you need air, you need shelter. And that's true, and having lived some years since then, I would add one thing to the list, hope. I think you can have provision for the body, but if you don't have provision for the soul, you'll die a little bit every day. And we live in a nation that was founded on the premise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of? And it's not going that great, is it? Number one category of prescription medication is antidepressants, that people are discouraged, that people are devastated, that people are distraught. It's not going that well because there is a lack of hope. There's a loss of hope. There's a longing for hope. 
And the question then becomes, well, where do you go to get hope? Because the truth is, if you look at your circumstances and you look at your future and then you look at yourself and you look at your resources, you will be stressed and depressed. It's too much. And some of you are in particularly dire circumstances, financially, maritally, relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you're in a very difficult place. And as you look at what is set before you and the resources you have to your uh, own disposal, you realize, I am not sure how I can survive this, make this, endure this, conquer this, or even live through this. And the question is, where do you go to get hope? And the key is this, that, that hope is the byproduct of faith. But just like a mother births children, it's faith that births hope. That's why in the Bible, faith and hope often go together. Some of you were married and the pastor read the verse from Corinthians that there is faith and hope and love. And the Bible often puts these together, particularly faith and hope. And so it's cause and effect, it's tree and fruit. It's a mother who gives birth, that's faith to hope. And our theme today, our topic today is faith. But my hope and my prayer and what I've been asking the Lord Jesus all week is that you would either come to faith or that you would grow in faith and that you would leave here with an increased degree of hope for yourself, for your life, for your future. That perhaps things won't change, that by God's grace you can change and perhaps things may not get better, but by God's grace you will get better through those circumstances by faith that leads to hope. And so we come to Hebrews 11 and the great theme of faith that is pregnant with hope. And this is arguably the most popular section of scripture on the theme of faith in the whole Bible. And so we'll start in Hebrews 11:1, 1, looking at faith biblically. Faith is the confidence, how many of you are lacking confidence? Faith is the confidence that what we hope for, is there anything you're hoping for? It's a good desire that you've brought to the Lord will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Confidence, assurance. This is the Bible's tweet on faith. If the, if the theme of the Bible, or one of the great themes of the Bible is faith from beginning to end, if what we are part of is the Christian faith, then the great tweet of the Bible on faith is Hebrews 11.1. 1. This is the Bible's summary statement of what biblical, godly, Jesus-rooted faith is and is not. And let me tell you what faith isn't. Faith isn't just optimism or positive thinking. How many of you are sick of that? Sick of that, right? I'm positive that I'm sick of being positive, right? And I am very sure that, that being negative is okay because positive thinking in and of itself, it doesn't necessarily change anything. Sometimes it causes you to deny reality. And how many of you, now some of you, you have the gift of faith and you're very encouraging and we love you and God bless you and I probably need to spend more time with you. But some of you are quite frankly, you're people who you just try to make everything positive. And I'll just tell you on behalf of your friends who brought you to hear this, not everything's good, okay? You got hit by a car, at least it wasn't a truck. It was still a car, I didn't like it. <laughs> didn't like it. I don't really see the bright side, you know? <laughs> it's not, I mean, I literally had a talk with a friend of mine recently and I said, uh, man, my hair is getting very thin up top. And they said, well, it's still thick on your arms. I, I don't understand, like, <laughs> you know, I guess I could do this, but it doesn't, it, that may sound positive, that may sound optimistic. It, it actually doesn't really help anything. So 
faith is not just positive, optimistic thinking, though it can include that. And faith is not sight. Sight is when you know where you're going, what you're doing. It's very easy, it's very clear, and you proceed forward. You're like, I know where I'm going, I know what I'm doing. Here's what faith is, I am lost. I, my, I, it, the, the lights have gone out, the room is dark. I can't see a thing. Lord, are you still here, God? Where are we going? What are we doing? What was that? I'm afraid, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I feel a little overwhelmed. Can I please get out of here? That's when faith kicks in. Faith is not sight. Faith is, faith is what happens when the lights go out in the room. And ultimately, faith is trusting in someone or something. And here's the real question. Is it, are they faithful? See, we live in a day when there are lots of faiths, different religions, philosophies, ideologies, commitments. The question is, if people have faith and it's sincere faith, is it in an object that can sincerely save them? That's the question. It's not the sincerity of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. And you can have sincere faith in the wrong object and it doesn't save. Now, Pastor Dan and I have been praying all week that if you don't know the Lord Jesus, that you'd come to know the Lord Jesus, that your faith would be in the Lord Jesus. Spirituality, morality, ideology does not save. Jesus saves. And Jesus has to be the object of faith. Now, we were cliff jumping as a family this summer over in eastern Washington, jumping off the cliff down into the water. Okay, imagine I didn't kick myself far enough away from the cliff and on the way down I caught my leg and injured myself and I'm paddling in the water and struggling and I look up at the kids, hey, I'm injured, I'm not gonna make it. I need something to hold on to, to trust in, to save me, to rescue me. Imagine one of my kids said, well, Dad, we got a rock and we got a life jacket. Which one do you want? It's like, I don't care, I have faith in both. It's not the faith that saves, it's the object of faith that saves. And if you grab the wrong thing, you're sinking toward death. Let me tell you that faith in anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ is just grabbing a rock and descending to death. That only Jesus saves. And so when we're talking about faith, we're not just talking about your faith, we're talking about the object of our faith, Jesus. Is your faith in Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Have you trusted Jesus? Have you embraced Jesus? Have you been embraced by Jesus? If not, you may have sincere faith, but your faith is sincerely misplaced. And faith is a future with God that visits us in the present that he might take our hand and like a father with a child, walk with us into that future. What tends to happen when we think of our future, we either have fear, we don't know what to do and so we retreat, we have folly, we proceed forward but without a good plan to our own harm, or we have faith. We find God, we take his hand and we walk with our father knowing that we don't know what the future holds but we know the one who holds the future. And he goes with us and he goes before us and he loves us and he cares for us and he will not leave us or forsake us. He will never abandon or betray us. That's what faith is. And faith is a lot easier to talk about sometimes in the post-game analysis. Any of you sports fans? Huh? How many of you guys, right? What happens after the game? There's always the post-game analysis, which is where men who 
couldn't run, jump, shoot, or do anything that required cardio or athletic ability, criticized the professionals who tried their best. That's the post-game analysis. Oh, he should have run faster. What? Um, you, you don't even walk. Um, you know. And in the post-game analysis, everything gets clearer because you can see its entirety. You could see it in its totality. You're like, oh, they did this, and then that led to this, and that caused this, and then this caused that, and then here, it, this is what happened. That's sight, not faith. Some of you right now, it's not time for post-game analysis. You don't know how your health's gonna work out, your finances are gonna work out, your job's gonna work out, your marriage is gonna work out. You don't know, you're in the middle of it. You're like, it could go either way. The end is yet to be determined. And let me say, emotionally, I'm there with you. Some of you know my story, some don't. I won't get into it much, but I had the great honor, privilege, joy, um, to serve some precious people for 18 years. What a tremendous joy and gift and honor that was. And, uh, and I, I had clarity of vision and a plan. And how many of you are like me? You're, you're a planner and a driver and a planner and a driver and a planner and a driver. And, and those are the two pedals on your bike and forward you go. And then God released us for a bunch of things that we know and we're uncertain what's next. People are like, what are you doing? I don't know, I'm going to Costco. <laughs> Other than that, it's unclear. And I'm going to Costco because Grace is going to Costco and I like Grace. And so we're going to Costco again. I, I don't... You know, I, I, I don't know. We're in the middle of it. Like some of you are in the middle. You're like, I, I don't know what's next. I don't know what the Lord's saying or doing. I'm trying to figure that out. I'm praying about that and seeking the Lord for that and seeking wise counsel for that and trying to discern that and trying to prepare for that. If that's you and where you're at today, let me invite you to hear this in a very timely way from God's timeless word for you. The truth is we don't know the future, but we know the one who does. And faith is trusting him until we see what he's up to. That's faith biblically, faith historically. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. The Bible's filled with people who walk with God by faith. They're examples for us. Read your Bible, 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 and find people who are going through things that help give you insights into what faith looks like in the middle of your circumstances. And then he goes into a big issue. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Now we're into creation evolution. Okay, we're in a creation evolution. I'm not gonna get into this too deeply, but in the theme of faith, here's the big idea. Some things you'll never know, and you, you have to trust somebody. You have to trust somebody, because in here's, here's the big example, creation. We call it the earth, the universe, creation, whatever word you like, let's just say everything, okay? In the bucket called everything, you're like, where did everything come from? And why is everything here? And what is everything for? And the truth is, we don't know. You know why? We weren't there, amen? I don't care how many candles are on your birthday cake. You're like, I wasn't there. When it all started, we weren't, no one was there. 
And you can't get there with a telescope and you can't get there with a microscope. Scientific methods about test and retest and repeat, you can't retest and repeat things that happen just once, like where everything came from and how it all started. So he uses creation as this great example saying, friends, there are certain things that your three pound fallen brain will not simply be able to prove. You're gonna need to trust somebody. You're gonna need to trust something. You cannot just live solely by all of the facts and evidence because there are some things that are just beyond your ability to experience and grasp. You're gonna need to take somebody else's word for it. Amen? And we do this all the time with so many things. And so on this, we're really left with two options. There's creation, there's evolution. And I, I don't wanna get all the way into it. And some of you have strong opinions and that's great. And some of you say, you know, how old is the earth and all these secondary tertiary issues? I don't know. I don't know how old the earth is, older than me. I don't know beyond that. It was here when I got here. Here's what I do know, that we're left with either God made everything or some other alternative. And here he's echoing back to Genesis and here he's gonna deal with Genesis one and two. In a moment, he's gonna to go to Genesis four and five with Abel and Enoch. He's going back to Genesis. It's the book of beginnings, which is the book of the beginning of all things, including faith. And what he's saying is, look, you need to know where you come from. You need to know where you come from. You're not here by happenstance or circumstance or chance. You're not a grand cosmic accident. There is a God who is immaterial, who is invisible, who is, in spirit, who is spiritual, and everything that is came into existence solely by the power of his word. That's what it means here. The, the Latin is ex nihilo, everything out of nothing. That friends, you come from God. You bear the image and likeness of God. You're made by God. You're known by God. You're loved by God that God prepared this whole planet for you to indwell and to enjoy. And that when you die, you will stand before God. You'll give an account to God. You'll, you'll, you'll stand before the maker of heaven and earth and the knower of all things. And knowing that you come from him means that you now know you will return to him. And in the middle, you must trust him. You must trust him. You must trust him. And faith is trusting the one who made you and trusting the one who sustains you and trusting the one who holds you and trusting the one who loves you and trusting the one who came for you and trusting the one who died for you and trusting the one who rose for you and trusting the one who's prepared a place for you and, and trusting the one who will judge you. And all of this is faith. You come from God, you will stand before God, you belong to God. My question is, do you know God? That's faith. It is by faith in the person and work of Jesus, the God who has revealed himself by coming into human history and walking on the planet that he made and dying at the hands of those that he created and rising to conquer our great enemy of death and revealing himself in all glory. Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you belong to him? Do you trust him? And my question, friend, is if you don't trust him, who do you trust? Who do you trust? No other religious leader said they were God. No other religious leader said that they could forgive sin. No other religious leader died and rose from the grave. No other religious leader has come back from the other side of our great enemy of death and revealed to us what awaits us on the other side. 
If you don't trust Jesus, who do you trust? And my question to your friend is, are they trustworthy? He says, by faith, we know how everything came into being. And what this means is that all of life is to be lived in connection with God by faith, trusting him, taking his hand, being his children, walking with our father. And this means that faith is not an aspect of your life. It's not that you have your faith and your marriage and your job and your chores and your hobbies. It means that faith in the God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the center of your life. It's like a hub and a spoke. And that faith in God, it, it, it infects and informs your marriage and your job and your hobbies and your relationships and your education and, and your recreation and your finances. And that all of life is lived in relationship to, in connection with, under the authority of the God of the Bible by faith. That's faith historically. And then he talks about faith biographically because at this point, we've talked a lot about faith conceptually, but what does it look like practically? And sometimes it's really helpful to see someone who has faith in God and how that faith plays itself out in their life. This is why we love testimonies. This is why I would encourage you to read biographies. Saints in the Bible and saints in church history who loved and served God and you see them clinging to to the hope that there is a God who is good and for them, even in the midst of, of a shipwrecked life of pain and strife. And he gives us two examples. We're gonna look at Abel, uh, Genesis 4, and Enoch, Genesis 5. Hebrews 11, 4, and 5. It was by faith, there's our word, that Abel brought a more accept acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts, Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Second guy, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. He says, okay, faith needs some examples. Here's two case studies, Abel and Enoch. First guy, Abel, he's got a brother named Cain. Mentions him here, they're in Genesis four. Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. Um, I'll read it to you from Genesis 4. Now, Abel kept flocks. He's a rancher. How many of you are ranchers? You got animals, right? You got horse. I don't know what you got, right? I grew up in the city. Something with four legs. You have animals. You're a rancher. And Cain worked the soil, farmer, okay? If you're a gardener, we'll, we'll throw you in, okay? You eat something that you grew. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the Fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and on his offering, but on Cain and on his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was very downcast. Here's what happens. Two brothers, one's a rancher, uh, one's a farmer, Cain and Abel. They both come to the same God to offer a sacrifice from their vocation. Both of their vocations are honorable in the sight of God. God looks down and says, I approve of Abel's offering. I do not approve of Cain's offering. Cain becomes jealous and murders Abel. Now, theologians debate and argue at this point because that's, that's what theologians do. And they try to ascertain what did Cain bring that was so wrong and bad? 
So they're looking at what's in his hands. Huh, what was in his hands that was displeasing to God, whereas what was in Abel's hands, that was pleasing to God. What's the difference? Here's the difference. It's not what was in their hands, it's what was in their hearts. See, man looks at the outward and God looks at the heart. See, you and I, we would look at Abel and Cain and we'd say, they both look the same to me. God says they look different to me because in Abel's heart, there's faith. He knows me, he loves me, he trusts me. In Cain's heart, he doesn't know me, he doesn't love me, he doesn't trust me. His heart is different. His heart is hard, not soft. His heart is against me, not for me. Abel is redeemed, Cain is religious. See, today, I don't know which of you are redeemed and which of you are religious, I don't know. You all got up, you all drove to the same place, you're all sitting in the same seats, you're all hearing the same sermon, you're all singing the same songs, you all put your offerings in the same bucket, you all look the same to me. I can't tell the difference, but the God of the Bible can. He knows your heart. He knows that some of you are doing these things in a religious way, meaning that it's entirely external, it's not internal. It's done maybe to impress others, it's done to go through religious ritual, it's done to try and please God so that he would love you. But it's not done out of knowing that God loves you through the personal work of Jesus Christ and responding back by trusting in him and loving him back. Are you like Abel or are you like Cain? Are you one here who does love and serve the Lord because you belong to the Lord? Or are you someone here who's going through religious routines and rituals, but your heart is far from God? What does Cain do? He kills Abel. It's amazing how sometimes self-righteous religious people get jealous of those who really love and serve the Lord, and that's what happens with Cain and Abel. Abel didn't do anything wrong and Cain killed him because he was jealous of him. The Bible's not a bunch of stories about a bunch of people. It's one story about one person. It's all about Jesus. And Abel is for us a, a picture, he's a type, he's a portrait of Jesus. Jesus comes as the better Abel. He's righteous and pure and good and he only worships the Father and he doesn't do anything wrong. And what's in his hand and what's in his heart is always and only and altogether pure. And the rest of us, we're like Cain. We get angry, we get vengeful, we get spiteful, we get jealous, and we attack Jesus Christ, God Almighty. And we kill Jesus just like Cain killed Abel. So there's blood on all of our hands because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what makes Jesus an even better Abel is he says that though Abel is dead, we continue to read the scriptures, Jesus didn't remain dead, that he conquered death. Not only did Jesus die, he died in our place for our sins, that he substituted himself. Uh, the great Abel, the Lord Jesus Christ, substituted himself for all of us Cain's that we might be forgiven. Have you given your life to the Lord Jesus? Have you acknowledged to him that you've been a Cain? Are you wanting today to become an Abel? You do that by faith and turning from sin and trusting in him. The second story is the story of, of Enoch. Genesis 5 says, walking in close fellowship with God, then one day he disappeared because God took him. 
This is a crazy story. There's some crazy stories in the Bible. One of the reasons we know that it wasn't made up is some of the stuff nobody would make up. So the story is Enoch is out for a walk with God and then gone, just gone, right into the, never died. There's only two guys in the Bible I can find that never died, Enoch and Elijah. Elijah got this fiery chariot, pinstriping, rims, cup holders, first class, off he goes, okay? Enoch walked with God and then he just went straight into the kingdom of God. Some would say that the two witnesses in Revelation that come back at the end of time to preach and then be put to death are Enoch and Elijah. I don't know, we'll wait and see. But they're the two guys who don't taste death. And what is interesting is Enoch lives in a day when the flood is imminent and impending. And, and, and the flood shows us that yes, God is loving and gracious and merciful and compassionate and kind and God will forgive you and God will take you as you are and Jesus died for anything and everything you've ever done and anyone who comes to him can trust in him and he is trustworthy and he will cast none away but there comes a day when God has had enough with a human condition on the earth. How many of you right now, it's difficult to even watch the news you can't handle any more death, any more destruction, any more devastation, any more wrath, any more vengeance, any more corruption, any more harming and hurting and brutalizing and traumatizing of human beings and what we do to each other. It is sickening, it is horrifying, it is devastating and we all reach a point either with the pain that we experience, the pain that we love, uh, that, of people that we love that, that experience that pain and we experience it vicariously with them or we feel the pain of the totality of the collective suffering of the earth we reach a point invariably where we all say I just can't handle anymore it all needs to end and that's the heart of God and he gets there and there comes a day when God has had enough with us and in that day it was a judgment by water. And one day, it'll be a judgment by fire. And in that day, only those whose faith was in God was spared. And, and in the last day, only those whose faith is in the God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be spared. And Enoch was spared the flood because he walked with God. And you'll be spared hell and wrath and judgment and condemnation if you walk with God. Because just as Enoch was delivered from death and judgment, so the children of God who walk with him will be delivered from death and hell. There was a time when one of my kids fell in the pool and I grabbed him. It's like that. By faith, we believe in the judgment of the living and the dead. By faith, we believe in heaven and hell because Jesus is the most trustworthy and he talks about this more than anyone. And we see from the example of Enoch and Abel that true faith comes in our worship and in our walk. And I wanna close by talking about faith personally. I want you to leave here with your faith in Jesus Christ or your faith in Jesus Christ increased so that hope can be birthed for your future. 
And I know some of you, this is a difficult, dark, discouraging season. And so faith must be personal. Hebrews 11.6, and it is, what's the word? Impossible to please God without faith. Your morality does not please God. Your spirituality does not please God. Your ideology does not please God. Your philosophy does not please God. All of your causes, all of your contributions, all of your caring does not please God. Unless it is done by faith. Meaning in connection to and relationship with the God of the Bible, the living God, the only God, the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not need you to impress him. He wants you to trust him. And life is not about what you do for God. It's first about what God has done for you. And you trusting in who he is and what he has done, that God became a man, that God lived without sin, that God died the death that you should have died, and that God rose to give the gift you cannot earn. And God is not looking for good people to impress him. He's looking for honest people to trust him. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. In the middle of your storm, in the middle of your strife, in the middle of your trouble, in the middle of your trial, when the lights have gone dark, when the room has gone dim, when you're not sure what's next, where you go, what you're supposed to do, how it's all gonna work out. Our first inclination is to beg God to tell us the future. God, tell me the future. What is going to happen so that I would know? And what he's saying here is, don't worry about your future. Stick close to your father. Don't worry about your future. Stick close to your father. He rewards those who diligently seek for him. It's about God's presence in your life. That's what it's about. I want you to walk with God by reading the Bible, praying, being with the children of God. I want you to diligently seek him by talking to him and listening to him and spending time with him. And I want you to trust him that you're not an orphan, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you, that he hasn't abandoned you and he hasn't forgotten you, that he's not harming you and he's not against you, that he's right there with you and he cares for you. And if you look for him, you'll find him. And he diligently rewards those who seek him. Uh, possibly an analogy will help. I've got five kids, three boys, two girls, and uh, my boys all love to play baseball. I played baseball. I was a catcher for a long time. And uh, this happened actually with all of my sons. But at one point, I'll use one son as an analogy, decided he didn't want to play baseball anymore. Great baseball player. Really good, actually. But it was the jump from one age to the other age. So you go from being the big kid to being the little kid, knowing all the kids on the team, not knowing any of the kids on the team, knowing all the rules, the rules change, new rules. You knew the coach, now you don't know the coach. My child was a little scared. 
They didn't know what was next. They were a little fearful. Didn't know if they could do it. So my kids said, that's it, I quit. Quit? You're the, you can't, you're this big. I know you love playing, because last year I saw you play four games and come home and play wiffle ball. I know you like it, and you're good at it. I don't want to play. I'm not playing. I quit. Okay, I quit. Um, there are two kinds of stubborn. Stubborn and third grade stubborn, okay? Um, that's a particularly potent version of stubborn. And I'm trying to reason with my kid. No, it's going to be okay. It'll be all great. Didn't work. Tried to then just say, no, you're going to do this. That didn't work either. Um, Please do this. Tried the begging. Didn't work. So my kids skipped some practices. Finally, I'm like, if they don't go, they're never going to go. We're kind of make or break here. So I told my kid, hey, get your stuff. Get in the car. They said, okay, I'll get in the car, but I'm not getting out of the car. <laughs> now we're in a hostage situation. <laughs> no, you're going to have to get out of the car. No, we're gonna... So we get there. I open the door. Kid is like, well, I'm not getting out. Gets the seatbelt, wraps himself up in it. Like, you know, like, I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, I get, get my kid out, right? Get him out of the car. They're like, I'm not going on the field. I'm like, yeah, you're gonna go on the field. You're just scared. You're gonna be okay. Here's what we're gonna do. Dad is gonna go with you. Take my hand, take your bat bag, your glove, your bat. I'm gonna go on the field with you. So I got on the field with all the little kids and it looks admittedly awkward. Like that's a big kid. I'm not here to play. I'm a dad. But if you need somebody to hit, I think I could do this. Um, so I tell the coach, hey, we got a little situation here. I'm gonna hang out with my son and see if I can help him, you know, get ready to join the team. So I'm holding my son's hand, we're talking. I said, buddy, I'm gonna stay right here with you. You're not alone. I'm here to help. I love you, I care for you. What do you think about that? He said, I'm running away. <laughs> I said, no, you're not running away. He says, yeah, I'm gonna run over there, and you can't catch me, which is true. <laughs> I'm not very fast. And so I just got down, I said, I'm here as long as you are. You're not alone, I love you, I care about you. When you're ready, you tell me, and I'll let go of your hand, we'll play catch, warm you up, and then when you feel like you're ready, you can go join the team, and, uh, and I'll stand right on the sidelines and I'll be right there. And if you get scared, you look over at me, all right? I'll give you the thumbs up, I'm praying for you. If you need anything, dad's right here. I'm not going anywhere. It took a while. Eventually we started playing catch, he warmed up. And then he went over and joined the team. And throughout the practice, he'd look over just to make sure I was still there. I'm here, buddy. You are the children of God. Your father diligently rewards those who seek him. He's right there with you. He hasn't abandoned you. You're not orphans. You don't know the future, but he does. Things may not be okay, but if you stick close to your dad, you'll be okay. That's faith. It's just a little kid reaching up and saying, Dad, I'm right here, and I just want you to hold my hand. 
because I don't know where to go and what to do. But I trust you because you're a good dad. I want to pray for you to either come to faith or grow in faith. I'd ask you all to bow your head and if you're willing, as an act of faith, to raise a hand to God the Father. And it's your way of inviting him to be present with you. Father God, it's my job to preach. It's your job to be present. I can't do your job. Lord, I pray for those who right now need to raise their hand as an act of faith, reaching out to you, that they would do so in faith, that you will take their hand, that you will meet them, that you will love them, that you will encourage them, that you'll guide them, that you'll comfort them, that you'll instruct them, that you'll never leave them, you'll never forsake them, that you won't abuse them, you'll only forgive them, you'll do them good and not harm all the days of their life. Holy Spirit, would you be present with us right now? May you make good on the words that you inspired to be written. May you reward those who diligently seek you. Come and be with us, Lord God. Be with your people. These hands that are up, these are your sons, these are your daughters. They want to feel the Father's hand. They want to walk out of here with faith. They want to walk out of here with hope. And so, Lord God, would they walk out of here with you. In Jesus' name, amen.